on this edition of the Hanfield Report, I'm going to crawl over there and skull fuck the shit out of you. Okay, well, first of all, let's address the 800-pound gorilla in the room. It's been a long fucking time since I made one of these podcasts. It's been four months. And look, if you're still there and you've been waiting patiently, well, uh, thank you because I didn't expect that. Obviously, it's not ideal that this is the first real amount of free time that I've gotten to actually um, make this podcast, but I'm not a quitter. I wanted to see this thing through to the end, even if I am absurdly late. At this point, you're probably wondering what the future of this podcast looks like, uh, and I'm going to be 100% honest. When I started this thing, it was over quarantine. Uh, my job didn't quite look the same, you know, because of the pandemic. And I had more free time than I ever do when I work. So the idea of having this weekly podcast was honestly pretty realistic at that point. Um, but once we got to August and, you know, we were going back to normal and I was going back to a normal work schedule, well, at that point it became pretty apparent that there was just no way that I was going to be able to keep this up. Um, you know, in preparation for one of these movie reviews, I, I spent hours watching the movie, taking notes. Sometimes I do a little bit of research to supplement, um, you know, what I have because I think, you know, um, that there's a little extra to add or there's something that I think I remember, but I have to go back and look into it. Um, so, you know, I do all of that and I record, I edit, um, and, and I love it, but, you know, it takes time and I want to do it well. I want to go super in-depth. I want to spend five or six hours just preparing for a podcast. Um, and quite frankly, you know, I, I have a job that requires not only a lot of time at work, but also a ton of time outside of work. Um, you know, and on top of that, I like to spend time with my wife too. So um, needless to say, it was uh, a crazy fall. And beyond, you know, the, the fucking amazing live show that I did with uh, par Paranormal Activities, I, I seriously, I didn't even have a chance to think about resuming things um, until now, you know, when, when I have a little bit of time off for Christmas. So here's what you can expect going forward. I'm posting this review of Rob Zombie's Halloween today. Before I return to work, it is my goal to watch and review his Halloween 2. Then I will have completed all of my movie reviews for this franchise. At that point, I don't honestly think that it's realistic to say that I am going to continue producing weekly content. I just don't. Um, and it sucks to say that, and I hate saying it, but I would rather change my approach than just walk away altogether. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm not walking away. I'm not ending the podcast. I'm um, just changing up what you can expect. Um, 
I recognize that you know that is not uh, <laughs> that is not a framework for a successful podcast. But I never did this to get you know a bunch of of listeners. Honestly, from the very beginning, I wasn't sure that anybody was going to listen. I just wanted to get my feelings about the franchise, my analysis of the franchise, off my chest. Um, you know, I spent too much time talking to myself about it. I wanted to actually do something productive. Um, but, you know, I was amazed to see that this this small, passionate group of listeners popped up uh, who, who liked listening to what I had to say. So, you know, thank you to all of you guys. But full disclosure, because I think I owe it to all of you, um, you know, this this probably will not be a weekly podcast ever again maybe uh, over the summer. Um, we'll see. Um, but, you know, a couple of months ago, I wasn't sure that I would even, you know, be able to continue making the podcast at all. Today, I want to say this is going to continue. But I just, I think the basis on which I'm producing content will change. Um, but I do know that I'm going to keep producing content. Uh, you know, maybe you will see a 20-minute mini-podcast pop up when, you know, uh, some Halloween Kills news comes out. Or maybe I'll discuss a random Halloween franchise topic when I get the time. Uh, I still want to make, um, you know, a, an episode about the possibility of doing animated films. Uh, you know, so maybe I'll make short podcasts about those when I get a chance. Um... You know, I can't promise stuff on a regular basis, but once these movie reviews are out of the way, I can start to think about shorter episodes that, that, that require less prep time. And I think it's realistic to expect those once in a while. Um, I know it's not the same as a weekly show, and I'm sure that um, you know, I, I've already lost a lot of listeners. You know, I'm sorry about that. But I think this is better than nothing, and I still think that there's value in continuing to do this. I still really want to. I still really love this franchise. Um, and so I, I want to keep on here, even if it's in a slightly different way. So for those of you who are listening right now and you've been waiting since August, thank you. Uh, I seriously never anticipated the, the outpouring of support that I've received, but it has been amazing. This is a special community, and I am so grateful to all of you. Okay, so all of that being said, after four fucking months, let's talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween. This is the last of the four movies that I watched uh, from this franchise, for, uh, th that I watched for the first time with my friends in high school. Um, you know, I, I watched H2O with them for the first time. Resurrection, I watched with them for the first time. Halloween 6, I watched with them for the first time. This was the other one that we watched uh, together for the first time. Here's the thing. This is the part that I am ashamed to admit. I've told you, we laughed at these movies. You know, we, we secretly loved Halloween 6, but we laughed at all these movies. But when it came to Rob Zombie's Halloween, <laughs> it's hard to say, we thought this was a great movie. I'm not kidding you. It wasn't a matter of, oh, that's badass. No, no, that would be one thing. But no, I remember going into school with my friends and encouraging one of our teachers to watch it 
and telling him it was better than the original. Yeah. Ugh. I think we thought that because this movie explained the, the psychological roots of, of Michael's evil. So, you know, it, it was better. And man, we were fucking wrong. I can't believe how wrong we were. And you know, I grew up on the original. I love the original. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Now, I'm ashamed that I ever said that Rob Zombie's movie was better. But I did. The funny thing is, it was it was a passing phase because I can't remember holding that belief for very long or watching the movie more than once or twice with my friends. So, hmm. uh, but look, now, at this point in my life, I, I, I want to say I don't hate this movie. But after revisiting it, I think I kind of hate this movie. Um, but I don't hate Rob Zombie. I, I actually think the issue with this movie is that it's not sufficiently Rob Zombie. We all know that he had to compromise, he had to give in, he had to make this a more slavish homage to the original than he wanted it to be. And I hate that. I love Carpenter's original film. I don't think it needed to be remade. But if you were going to remake it, then do something new. Zombie was trying to do something new, but in the second half of this movie, you can tell the studio wanted him to do the same old shit in a less effective way. But here's the unfortunate part. The first half of the movie, all the Rob Zombie ideas, they're not good. So I don't like either half of this movie, and I, I end up enjoying Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 a lot more. But we're not there yet. Before I go any further, just want to say, sorry about the background noise. I have to record in a different area, so uh, you're probably hearing laundry machines. Sorry. But in terms of this movie, the movie opens up with a quote from Dr. Samuel Loomis. Zombie opens with a quote in both of his movies, and I've heard people bash this shit to Kingdom Come, saying that it's pretentious, it's embarrassing. Is it pretentious? Maybe, especially considering the quality of the movie that we're about to get, but I don't really take issue with the pretentiousness. What bothers me is that it's a quote from a fictional character. I just think that is that is patently absurd. It's kind of like when fictional movies end with a where are they now montage, you know, telling me that Jane ran off and married a multimillionaire and, and Dick ended up going to jail for, for credit card fraud. You know, these characters, they're not real. Opening with a quote from a fictional character is same deal. Like, why wouldn't you just give me, you know, a real quote from a real person instead? But okay, that's that's just a, a picky little little pet peeve, I guess. Then we are into our flashback to Michael as a kid. Let me be the first to say, no matter how scary that kid might be, and I've had debates with people about whether he's really scary or not, this is a horrible idea. I think we all agree on this. Nobody needs to see Michael Myers as a kid and know about uh, what, a, what a terrible family life he had. I honestly feel like 
this is the thing that gets talked about the most about this movie. And it's one of those things where I don't like to cover it too much because it's already been covered by everybody else and their fucking grandma. But I've said time and time and time again on this show that Michael Myers needs to be ambiguous. Is he supernatural? Is he human? We can't quite tell. That ambiguity really fucks with me. Sometimes if I just turn my brain off when I'm watching the original, if I'm not thinking about the filmmaking side of things, you know, I, I sometimes I just see Michael Myers as Michael Myers. He's not a person. He's not supernatural. He's, he's Michael Myers. He's somewhere in a very scary in-between place. Uh, and it's hard to describe. He's the shape, if that makes any sense. And as a filmmaker, you need to strive for that level of ambiguity. That's how you fuck with the viewer's mind. Yet nobody ever does it. I think sometimes people have attempted it, but they never succeed. And and I've talked a lot about this. I talked about this in my very first show, you know, the Halloween 2018 review, saying that maybe you can't make any sequels. It just takes away the mystique, and it takes away that ambiguity. Um, but, you know, I think that's the direction you need to take this movie in. And obviously, Rob Zombie took this movie in the exact opposite direction. And look, I am not going to say, you can never do that, you know, because I have been fighting the fight for somebody like Zack Snyder to be able to do whatever the fuck he wants to do, you know, with a character like Batman or Superman. Um, you know, I, I've been arguing that, that artists can do whatever they want with fictional characters. So sure, Rob Zombie can do this, and it's his Michael Myers, but is it a good idea? Hell no. The other thing that people talk about when it comes to this movie is the dialogue and the characters. People say, ugh, that's the movie with the, with the skull fuck line, right? Yes. We've got terrible characters like William Forsythe as, as Michael's abusive dick step, stepfather. You know, yes. Terrible people. But let's think about this for a second. Sure, the dialogue is over the top. You know, Rob Zombie stuff where characters use fuck every other word. But the characters themselves, think about it. The Dick Stepfather. Uh, uh, you know, that is a common trope in this franchise. The, the Dick Father or Stepfather or Adoptive Father. Halloween 4, the asshole with his tie in the coffee. He's a dick. Halloween 6, John is abusive and an awful human being. Even in the original... I know that we all love Brackett, but Annie talks about him as though he's a complete dick at home. Um, so, you know, when Halloween 2018 came out, and it went in the opposite direction, and it had Ray, who was more of, like, comedic relief than anything else, that was very different for this franchise. Um, you know, so, like, sure, he may talk in an over-the-top manner, but this, this asshole stepfather is not a huge change for the franchise. It's kind of Rob Zombie's spin on something very common to these movies. Then you have, you know, the Spy Kids boy showing up as the bully. Again, this franchise is full of bullies, from, from you know, Lonnie and the other dicks in the original to Jamie's an orphan, Jamie's an orphan in Halloween 4. I don't quite understand the criticism of you know, oh, all these, these characters are, are awful and unlikable. I mean, have you watched some of the other movies in the franchise? 
have you watched other horror movies? Um, you know, but beyond that, I just don't get the logic of, well, if I don't like any of the characters, it's not a good movie. Okay, that's just bullshit. So if I watch a movie like The Social Network, where everyone is kind of an asshole, you're telling me that you're going to walk away saying, man, that movie sucked. I didn't like anyone in it. That is stupid reasoning. Throughout literary history, we have had so many books full of unlikable characters. Same way in cinema, because it reflects the worldview and the artistic intentions of the creators. And it's the same thing here. We can criticize Rob Zombie all we want for coming up with, you know, such repugnant characters who say disgusting things. But that is his artistic style. And he uses it for a reason. And he doesn't back down from it. I don't have a problem with it. But I do have a problem with people who want him to change his style. Which, look, whether you like it or hate it, it's so different from what other people out there are creating in Hollywood. Like it or not, you can tell when dialogue is Rob Zombie dialogue. And I'm not saying that it's good dialogue, but it's distinctive and it reflects the artist and it reflects his influences, right? This is a guy who, who his influences are not good movies. He is constantly paying homage to like 70s exploitation films, which had bad dialogue. So it's not like he's, he's unaware of what he's writing. He just doesn't care what you think about it. And I kind of love that. But frankly, the beginning of this movie is just... I'm not prepared to say... That, I'm not prepared to say that it's bad. I mean the opening few minutes. I, I, I don't think the opening few minutes are bad. Um... Because I, I do think it's better than some of the awful shit that preceded it. You know, it's 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 more respectable than the content of Resurrection or Halloween Five. Theoretically, I guess it's it's the the content here at the start is more respectable than what we got in Halloween Six. Although, you know, I think we all know that I love that movie, but it just doesn't work like Rob Zombie thought it was going to. You have the Halloween theme playing while chubby little Mikey Myers runs down the hallway. It's just ridiculous. And then he kills Spy Kid's boy, and there I am thinking, you know, I'm sympathizing with Michael here. I might not kill that kid, but he is a dick. And I think this is supposed to be disturbing, but I don't know, it doesn't work. It feels like something out of a, a, you know, a violent Tarantino-esque revenge fantasy, as does a lot of this backstory. It's a kid who's been treated like shit, now going after his tormentors. Maybe this stuff would work if he were targeting innocent people, but he's not. And the message that it establishes is that Michael starts killing because it's deserved. And that doesn't make him scarier. 
it actually does the opposite. But there are glimpses of greatness and vision here. I actually think the Love Hurts montage is is kind of inspired. Uh, I think it's one of the it's one of the moments that at least reminds you that Rob Zombie uh, knows how to use music in movies. Uh, although he really jerks himself off for that song choice in the sequel, but again, not there yet. Uh, I also think visually from the very start we are getting one of the better-looking Halloween movies. Um, you know, especially compare it with how bad, how awful Halloween Resurrection looks compared to this, produced only five years prior. Um, Rob Zombie has a good sense of the visual, uh, you know, from his music video background, and this movie shows it off. There is some good stuff here, and I, I think there's, there's more good stuff in the sequel. Um, but speaking of Love Hurts, let's address the criticism that everyone likes to throw at Rob Zombie, his wife. <sighs> Look, I love that he loves his wife, and I kind of find it cool when you have directors who cast the same people all the time. You know, Christopher Nolan always goes to Michael Caine, and, um, you know, he always goes to certain actors. Quentin Tarantino uh, of late has liked going to Leo DiCaprio and, you know, people find these actors who they like going to. I think that's cool. I think that's great. Rob Zombie, same thing. He has people he goes to a lot now. Now Malcolm McDowell is somebody he goes to all the time. Um, somebody he shouldn't go to all the time, though, is his wife because she can't act. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But she's, look, she's a better actress and a better actor than, than I am. But I'm not starring in these huge fucking movies. Nor should she. She feels like... like a C-quality actress who he's treating as though she's at least a B-plus quality actress. And and she's not. She's not. He's, he's giving her roles that require so much emotional range and she can't make it happen. Um, in, in 31, she's like the main fucking character. Terrible choice. Terrible choice. Um, I think she's, she's, she's okay. She's okay. Um, in Devil's Rejects, you know, she's okay in those movies. But like, still, not great. Not great. And I think part of the reason that, you know, that she does okay in those movies is that she plays off of, of other better actors around her and they kind of distract from her um in this movie you you make her you know center stage as michael's mother and he really wants us to say and, and to walk away saying wow michael's mom is kind of the most important character in these two movies he's trying to to emphasize that she has that much importance to him i i just cast somebody who can act Sorry. Again, I think it's sweet that he he loves his wife. I do. But you need to put the quality of your film first before all this nepotism. Anyway, I, I don't like that. I'm glad that the character doesn't make it through the whole movie, but then, of course, she's back as a ghost in the sequel, which 
we'll talk about. Um, I also just have to note, you know, this is a compliment. There's a nice little callback to Halloween 2 here, uh, and Mrs. Elrod with Judith's, uh, Judith's boyfriend. You know, he's, he's making a, a ham sandwich. But the whole scene is just a perfect testament to what's wrong with this movie. We get some of the same stuff as the original, but there's no tension. There's no horror. I think that we're supposed to be scared when Michael is standing in Judith's room, but I can definitely tell you that I was not. I also think, again, it is absolutely ridiculous when you have Michael, as a kid, wearing the adult Michael mask, and you have the shape stalks playing. It just doesn't work. It looks horrible. It's laughable. The scene doesn't work. It's violent, but it's not scary. And that, that's an issue that the whole movie has. I actually thought to myself while watching the scene, hey, wait, this is supposed to be a horror movie. But it plays off as more of like a gritty crime drama, like this is the making of, of a, a murderer, you know? Which, again, I don't think that's how you make a successful Halloween movie. You can do it, but it doesn't make a good Halloween movie. Again and again, these, these more recent incarnations, they've kind of taken the true crime route. Um, H2O did it. Uh, this movie does it, and then Halloween 2018 does it. But I think we all know that the boogeyman, urban legend approach would have been so much more effective, and truer to the original. Then we get to the Smith's Grove flashback shit. There are three redeeming factors in all of this dreadful shit, and it really is dreadful. This, it might be the worst part of the movie. Um, might be, because we'll get back to that. It is so slow, it is so boring, and it falls into the trap that Matt Reeves, you know, was smart to avoid on something like The Batman. At a certain point, you don't need to see the backstory. We know the Waynes were killed. You don't need to show us Batman becoming Batman. We don't need backstory. In the same way, for slightly different reasons, we know that Dr. Loomis worked with Michael at Smith's Grove. We don't need to see it. All of these scenes with Loomis and with Michael's mother are just so damn boring. We've got Loomis talking about black being the absence of color. We've got Michael telling his mom that he likes wearing masks because it hides his face and it hides his ugliness. Ugh! This shit sucks. Again, the new stuff that Rob Zombie brings to the table here it just isn't good at all. But there are three redeeming factors. One is, again, the visuals stand out. I always remember how pale and washed out the backdrop is. I think that Rob Zombie nails the sterile medical backdrop, and that's awesome. Um, it's a compliment to, to Zombie that I think some of Halloween 2018 is visually inspired by his Halloween movies. I just kind of wish that it had been inspired by, you know, the actually good 1978 movie. Um, the second redeeming factor is really the biggest one. Malcolm McDowell as Loomis. Sure, he's not Donald Pleasance, but nobody was going to be Donald Pleasance. Nobody was going to top Donald Pleasance as Loomis. Um, McDowell didn't even try. 
you probably know, um, but McDowell, he hadn't even seen the original movies. He didn't want to watch Pleasance's performances. He didn't want to know about the original interpretation of the character. He wanted to read the script and make it his own. And I think he does a great job with that, with what little he has in this movie. Say what you will, but beyond, you know, just casting his own wife in roles that she should not be in, Zombie does a hell of a job with his casts. Forsyth, yes, he plays a, a, a monstrous human being in this movie, but great casting. Um, you know, one of Zombie's worst movies is 31, but it also features, you know, maybe his most brilliant casting and maybe his most brilliant character, Richard Brake, as Doomhead. Um, Brake is also in Halloween 2, which we'll talk about when we get there, but I love him in Halloween 2. Uh, but, but seriously, Zombie, he knows how to cast. He really does. And he builds these amazing casts. And that leads into the second redeeming factor here, which is all of the amazing uh, cameos. The second. This is the third redeeming factor. Uh, I can count. Uh, we, we've got Danny Trejo. We've got Bill Mosley from The Devil's Rejects and from uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. We've got, uh, I think it's Tom Tolles, uh, who I know best from Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Um, he shows up in, in a lot of, of zombies movies. Lou Temple shows up. Clint Howard is here as a doctor. By the way, Howard is really great as a clown in Three from Hell, if you haven't seen it. But look, you get all these cameos, and I know it's not much, but it's something. I like seeing these familiar faces pop up because it, it, it adds a little bit of fun to a stretch of this movie that is otherwise so damn boring so stretched out, and, and so unenjoyable. I think of all these cameos, the most effective one really is Danny Trejo, because he has this emotional connection with Michael, and he's had it for years. So when Michael kills him, that effectively cements that he is going in a new direction. It's his first kill that feels totally unjustified. And it shows that at this point, He's just completely fucking off the rails. And the way that it's shot with the camera underwater, you know, while Michael drowns him, is excellent. But again, nothing about this is scary. And if a Halloween movie doesn't scare me, what's the point? Let's also point one thing out to Zombie's credit. Something he doesn't get enough recognition for is that he has a sense of humor. The Joe Grizzly scene with, with Ken Foray, it's it, hilarious. Hilarious. I don't know how you can watch this thing and not at least smile. Joe Grizzly is such an over-the-top caricature. And for people who claim that this movie is unpleasant and lacking in any degree of lightheartedness, well, first of all, it's a Rob Zombie movie, so what were you expecting? But secondly... There are definitely bits and pieces here and there that are funny that people just don't recognize. But after this bad opening, things stay bad. Maybe even get worse. There is a reason that I said that I thought the Smith's Grove stuff might be the worst part. It's because once we get to Laurie Strode, this starts to feel like a cheap 
awful remake. And that might be worse. I, I can't I can't decide. But I knew, you know, I've known that this feels like a cheap remake. But I didn't realize until I went back to watch it again how bad this part really is. How cheap a remake and how terrible a remake it actually is. From the start, two things stand out. First of all, fine. If you want this to be Laurie Strode, I guess this is Laurie Strode. But I don't know how we went from sweet, innocent, virginal Laurie in 1978 to annoying sex joke Laurie in 2007. The second thing that stands out right from the start is that Zombie completely misses what made the original so effective. I'm not going to rehash all the shit that I talked about um, you know, back in my, my Halloween 1978 episode. You can go back, you can listen if you're interested. But suffice it to say, John Carpenter uses long shots and tracking shots incredibly well in the original. Some of the best stuff is when Laurie is just walking to and from school. You start to scan the frame, you know, because he has these wide shots, which Carpenter is known for. So you start to scan those wide shots. You start to look for Michael, right? The way that he shoots the scene, the way that he uses a dolly to slink around the neighborhood following Laurie, almost as though he's simulating the feeling of a stalker. It's all masterfully done. And here, there is none of that. It honestly, it makes me roll my eyes. Rob Zombie was like, oh, Laurie's talking to Tommy, so what should I do? I guess I'll use close-ups so that we can see them better. No, that's not the point. Sometimes I just, I think about the decisions that certain directors make today, and I think I lose brain cells. Where has all of the artistry gone? Now, look, it's not all bad. We do get another brilliant casting choice. I honestly think that Danielle Harris is a better Annie Brackett than Nancy Keys was. Um, if that's how you say her name. Nancy Loomis, Nancy Keys. And that's no offense to Nancy Keys. It's just, she's not the best actress in the world. And honestly, Annie comes across as a bit of a bitch in the original. Um, whereas in these movies, again, to Rob Zombie's credit, to Danielle Harris's credit, Annie actually is kind of a beloved character in these two movies. And her death in the sequel, which we'll talk about a lot when we get there, is heartbreaking. And honestly, I think that's in part because Danielle Harris is perhaps the most beloved actress in the Halloween franchise. I think that's what Rob Zombie knew he was doing when he chose her. People love her. They want her to live. So let me choose her. Brilliant choice. Brilliant choice. Um, but you also, you know, you can't talk about the casting of Annie without talking about the casting of her father, Brad Dorif as Sheriff Brackett, which I think is incredible. I also think this is better casting than the original. I like Charles Cyphers, but Brad Dorf makes Brackett a character. Um, I've said it before. I'll say it again, and I will say it next week. But watch that scene 
where he discovers Annie's body in the sequel and tell me that it doesn't make you tear up. That is the most emotional moment in the whole Halloween franchise. The whole franchise. So let's not discount the value of Rob Zombie's films. If nothing else, they gave us some glimpses of greatness. Like when they were great, he was actually doing some things better than any Halloween movie had before. Even if, you know, obviously all of it pales in comparison to what Carpenter did, sure. But they gave us some glimpses of greatness and gave us some incredible casting. What's not incredible, unfortunately, is all of this remake bullshit. When the girls are talking in the library, not in a classroom, not in a classroom, because I guess Rob Zombie isn't allowed within 100 yards of school children, um, you get this utterly awful remake of Michael standing outside and staring at Lori. This is so, so poorly handled. She doesn't seem concerned about it. And Rob Zombie, you know, he has this, whoever his editor is, he, he's like, again, this is what modern filmmakers do. Uh, we want people to be interested, so let's do quick cuts. There's no art to the editing anymore. He cuts away quickly. It doesn't seem like Lori is all that concerned. Also, uh, Michael looks like an idiot just standing there. It's theoretically ridiculous when you watch the 78 movie and you see Michael standing there, but at least he is far enough away and he's out of focus, so it works. Here, it really doesn't. And then the girls are walking home and they see Michael just standing there. And they're yelling at him like he's just some dumbass piece of shit they can walk all over. It's embarrassing. And it's also unrealistic. If some fucking giant wearing a scary mask was standing out in the middle of your suburban neighborhood, just staring you down, I can guarantee that you would not be talking shit to him. So it's embarrassing and it takes away any degree of power that Tyler Mean should have in this role. And it's not even realistic. But, but, the cast is saving this movie at this point. Sid Haig uh, shows up as the caretaker of the cemetery. What a nice touch. Um, such a nice touch, actually, that it almost distracted me from the fact that, yet again, Rob Zombie misses the point of a scene. In the original, the caretaker is talking about old Charlie Bowles. The 78 movie is obsessed with fate and with random acts of evil. The fact that evil can find its way to us at any moment, and anyone can be evil or can become evil. Charlie Bowles is a representation of that. Some average guy who just one night kills his family. That's what Michael represents in that movie as well. But Rob Zombie cuts that part out and replaces it with some dialogue about Michael because, uh, well, why would we want to talk about something that's not related to the plot? But hey, you know, at least he added Michael desecrating the grave with a dead coyote. So violent, so scary. Okay. And then we get even more of this sped-up, watered-down rehash of the original 
which starts with Linda and Bob fucking in the Myers house. Makes sense. Because what else would you want to do but have sex in a scary, abandoned, gross-ass house? But really, in all seriousness, I had forgotten that the pacing in this movie was so bad. The pacing in this movie is horrendous. The issue here is that Zombie, in a weird way, falls into the trap that Halloween 2 fell into, the original Halloween 2, where suddenly Michael became the most interesting character, and honestly, the only character. You can say what you will about, you know, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, but at least it functions well as a character study of Laurie and Loomis, maybe even Annie and Brackett, even if you don't like the interpretation of those characters, particularly Laurie and Loomis. At least he's trying to analyze the characters. This movie, it feels like he he just wanted to make a movie about why Michael is the way he is, and we didn't need that. But then the studio was like, yeah, but you know, you gotta add all the shit everyone knows and, and loves, and we didn't need that either. It feels really hollow. You know, like he spent almost an hour on Michael, and then it was like, oh shit, we only have 50 minutes left, what am I gonna do? Uh, cram the entire content of the original 90-minute movie into these 50 minutes. Ugh. And let's just point out that that he really only spends like 25, 30 minutes on most of the stuff from the original and then stretches out the encounter with Laurie at the end. So the pacing is horrendous and it all feels really hollow and forced. It feels like you just... Like, he slapped these characters' names on these people, and and he was like, all right, let's get it done. Cinematically, it all looks good. But in terms of the actual quality of the product, it feels like a cheap knockoff direct-to-video Halloween movie. It feels like the characterization I would expect from a made-for-TV Halloween movie. And not like, you know, HBO today. No, no. I mean, like, uh, 1987 made-for-TV ABC Halloween movie. Really bad. Because tell me something. Can you tell me anything about Lori in this movie? I can tell you that she tells a sex joke at the beginning and that we get the reveal about them being siblings at the end, but beyond that, she's not a character. Nor are Linda or Annie in this movie beyond the fact that they're the characters you know from the original. The movie relies on you having watched the original in order to care about these characters. If that was the case, why not just mm, watch the original? Something else that drives me crazy is the way the kills are handled. Bob's death is atrocious and so unimaginative. That's going to be something that I complain about for both of these movies. But one thing that even some of the worst slasher movies get right is the kills. Halloween 2 from 1981, not a very good movie. But it's got some nice kills, like the whole hot tub scene. This movie, probably the best kill is when Michael duct tapes his stepdad to the chair and slices his throat. That's sad. The Bob kill is awful. In the original, Carpenter was methodical. He built tension. Long shots. Long takes. 
is Michael going to pop up here? How about there? He adds little little sounds to like throw us off. In this scene, we know from the beginning of the scene where Michael is because he pops up in a little jump scare moment. And then later on, when Bob comes up with a ghost disguise, which honestly, that sucks because in the original, I love that it's Michael's idea. But when, when Bob comes up with a ghost disguise and he's sneaking over to Linda, Michael just jumps out from the place where we know that he is and grabs Bob. We knew he was there. There is no tension. And then, Rob Zombie uses something that every hack director loves to overuse today. Shaky cam. Which he also uses when Michael kills Linda. This is just, this is absolute early 2000s horror remake shit. It's bad. And then Michael walks off with Linda's body. You know how in the original we get that incredible shot of Michael carrying Annie's corpse into the house while the thing soundtrack music plays in the background? I'm pretty sure this is Zombie's attempt to do something similar. He also tries to do it again later with Lori. It sucks both times. It sucks both times. He thinks that he's doing something that is like, oh, what a cool homage. But visually, there is nothing distinctive about this at all. And the kills, stabbing and, and choking. Okay, sure, that's true to the original film, and I can appreciate that. But here it's boring. The original earned it. The original was coming out at a time when like, you didn't have these slasher movies with over-the-top kills. And I also don't buy it. You know, I don't buy that he's paying homage. If you're paying homage, then don't load it up with violence like Rob Zombie does. Look, I am being really fucking harsh about this shit. Because it does truly suck. But in Zombie's defense, we know that he didn't want to do this. We know that he wanted to push things in a different direction. But he was pressured to slavishly follow the original. So this, it feels like him saying, Alright, I gotta do this part, so I'm just gonna half-ass it. And I'm not defending that half-assing, necessarily. But I could understand why his heart wasn't in it. And I do legitimately think that there's more artistry on display in the sequel. Love it or hate it. So I, I don't I don't want this to come across as I'm saying like Rob Zombie is the worst director ever. I, I just think this is a dreadful movie. Um let me say one other thing in, in his defense. There is one great scare in this movie. And that is when Mr. Strode is standing outside. His wife just went inside and Lori just left with Annie. And out of nowhere, Michael's knife comes into the frame and boom, he's dead. And Michael barges into the house. That scare, in all honesty, is pretty damn close to on par with, with one of the best moments in the new Invisible Man, which is outstanding if you haven't seen it. So let's give him that. Uh, I don't think that many of these Halloween movies have incredible scares. Maybe it's because I've just seen so many that I'm kind of jaded. But I do remember watching this with my friends in high school. And this shit just absolutely, uh, I mean, it, it, it wrecked us. We, we just, 
I think that, that our souls leapt out of our bodies when this happened. It was amazing. The shit that follows with the D. Wallace death scene, which is like stretched out and just ends with him break, breaking her neck, it's not so amazing. But but the scare where he kills Mr. Strode, I want to give him credit for that. I like that moment. Okay. Another thing that is not amazing is Rob Zombie yet again missing the point of a small but critical detail. When Tommy asks Lori if the boogeyman is real in the original movie, she says no, because she herself is so naive, so logical, and so innocent, uh, you know, that she can't fathom that, that such, you know, uh, incomprehensible evil exists. She learns over the course of the movie that such evils do exist in this world. That's her arc. Hence, why at the end of the movie, she says it was the boogeyman. In this movie, Tommy asks if the boogeyman exists. And Laurie's like, yes, he does. And he eats little children like you. Ugh, eye roll. It's like somebody who only read No Fear Shakespeare deciding to adapt Macbeth. Which becomes even more clear when Laurie wants to be with Ben Tramer. In the original, she's way too innocent and virginal to want this boy. In this movie, she's like, oh, hell yeah, I need a boyfriend. Okay, sure, I get it. It's the 21st century, and the innocent, weak, virginal girl doesn't play the same way. Gender politics are different, and woke Twitter probably wouldn't appreciate it. Sure. But come on. Rob Zombie doesn't care about gender politics. He just doesn't get the point of the original. One thing I actually do like, although I know that I shouldn't, is Michael standing behind Lindsay Wallace when she's watching the thing. In the original, the way the carpenter shoots it, you always think that Michael is going to be there when you see the scene. Again, it's just because of how it's filmed and the little tricks the carpenter plays on our minds using um, you know, these little camera tricks. In this movie, of course, Rob Zombie takes the subtext and makes it text. He takes Carpenter's scary intimation just using camera movements that maybe Michael will be there. And he says, you know what? Michael's going to be there. Okay, yes, I should roll my eyes at this. But I actually kind of like it. So, mm. but okay, can I ask? Why do the police never believe that Michael Myers is in the Haddonfield? Why is it always so hard to believe when you've got his fucking doctor telling you that he broke out of Smith's Grove? This movie spends like seven or eight minutes on Loomis just trying to convince Brackett that Michael is in Haddonfield. Why? This is one thing that, that Halloween 4 gets right. The police actually care but it doesn't stop Michael from decimating them. I've said, part of the reason that I, I have an issue with Halloween 4 is when people start to fight back, it takes away from the sense of dread that makes these movies scary. But it's realistic. I just don't believe that Bracket would be like, hmm, nah, I just don't believe it. And while Bracket is being persuaded 
that this doctor is actually telling the truth about, you know, his, his own patient. His daughter is off fucking Paul. Now, remember that incredible, scary scene where Michael kills Annie and the car in the 1978 movie? Yeah, we don't get that here. In another incredibly creative moment, Rob Zombie decides that this kill will occur when Annie and Paul are having sex. Hmm. So Michael just walks up and stabs Paul. And then he pursues Annie while she crawls on the floor, just like Mrs. Strode did. No sense of imagination on display here at all. You know, and, and I can just, I can hear Rob Zombie talking about how he liked Michael pursuing these helpless girls as they crawled because it's like him toying with his prey. But it's just not interesting. Do something new. This is probably a good time to say before I, you know, get any more negative. Uh, this is probably a good time to say. This, at this point, this was the third time I noticed a shot that I really think David Gordon Green replicates in Halloween 2018. When Michael is dragging Annie and looking down at her, it's the same shot as Michael looking down at Vicky in 2018. But hey, even if Rob Zombie fucks up the adaptation of all the original shit, at least he keeps the best part. Michael and Laurie are siblings, yay! Uh, in all seriousness, I do like the element that Rob Zombie adds, if he was going to keep this shit, uh, that, that Brackett, you know, discovered baby Laurie when, when he discovered, you know, their mom's suicide and that he dropped her off at the emergency room. Okay, I kind of like that, you know, he's been there from the very beginning. But, again, this is exactly what I'm saying about the pacing. Michael fucks up Annie, and then, boom, Laurie is there. In the 78 movie, there's this build-up. There's, like, there's probably three or four minutes just of Laurie saying goodnight to the kids, getting her keys... Uh, well, she forgets her keys, as we know. But, like, you know, getting ready to walk over, walking across the street, walking around, going inside, uh, you know, walking up the stairs, seeing the bodies. You know, there's this long buildup. And I would imagine that a filmmaker like Rob Zombie might watch that and be like, yawn, let's just get right to it. Because that's how this whole movie plays out. It's It's... It's like a really bad Greatest Hits compilation. It's all the stuff you know and love quickly jammed into the second half of this mediocre movie. The funny part is, it feels like Rob Zombie rushed through the Bob and Linda stuff um, and the, the Annie and Paul stuff so that we could get to the Lori pursuit, which then lasts for fucking ever. Literally, I had to, I had to pause and check the timestamps here. He starts pursuing Lori with almost 30 minutes left in the movie. It's not because Rob Zombie is milking the tension. There, there barely is any tension here. In the original, you know, Lori, she can't get out of the kitchen because the door is blocked and it takes her forever 
to figure out to just break the glass. Okay, sure, dumb, but on a cinematic level, that's effective because we're sitting there, we're saying, oh my God, just break the glass. You know, it makes, it's tense. Here, oh, nope. She just tosses a chair right through the window. She's out. No tension built whatsoever. He just wants to keep this thing moving and keep the camera shaking. Uh, there are two small details that Zombie adds that I don't know if I like them, but at the very least, he did something different. And I now it's, it's like I'm giving him a participation trophy. You know, now it's like, oh, you did something different. Pat on the back. Um, one, Paul hanging with the jack-o'-lantern on his head. Okay, nice touch. Uh, and the cop, the, the kill where, you know, he's up against the, the frosted glass and, and the blood spurts out and it's running down the window. Okay, pretty cool. But not so cool is the fact that Michael, he get, catches Lori, he takes her to his little hideaway, and then he tries to reveal that they're siblings. On a Halloween level, this is Rob Zombie missing the point again. In Halloween 5, Michael fucking cries, and it's awful. It's awful. This, it gives me similar vibes. Yet Rob Zombie thought it was a good idea. Um, but on a horror movie level, specifically in terms of remakes, I'm surprised that I don't hear more complaints about this moment. It's like in the Friday the 13th remake, when Jason takes that girl hostage rather than killing her, and everybody's like, Jason kills, he doesn't take hostages. Well, same deal here, no? Like, it's a pretty stupid moment. What does he want for them to hug it out after he killed her friends? It's ridiculous. And I guess if I think about, you know, the moment earlier in the movie where, where Michael says Happy Halloween to baby Lori, maybe there's a degree of emotional resonance here. But I don't want emotional resonance from Michael Myers. I just don't. I will admit, in the scene that follows, uh, after Laurie stabs Michael, there's definitely some tension here. But this is the first point at which I was like, okay, this is some effective horror. This is actually tense. That's the first point in the movie where I felt that way. Uh, you know, obviously you had the scare with Mr. Strode, but that there was no, like, tension built. It just happens. It's scary, but it just happens. Um, and Rob Zombie, he doesn't know how to keep the tension going. You know, then Lori, she ends up in the pool, and Luma shoots Michael, and none of it is scary. And by the way, unfortunately, at this point, uh, I began to notice that, that Loomis is more well-developed in Halloween 2, uh, the Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, obviously, and that in this movie... He's kind of doing the same shit, where he basically depends on you knowing Loomis from the originals. At this point. I, I kind of I think this is a smart choice, and I kind of hate that he made the choice, because I want the movie to be over, but... At this point, Rob Zombie wants to trick you into thinking that the movie is over. Lori is sitting in the car, and she asks if that was the boogeyman. And... That doesn't make much sense in this new version because the boogeyman is, like, not really a plot point in this movie. Like, it doesn't come up much. Um, comes up that one time. But just when you think that we are done. Yup, that's right. The never-ending chase 
continues. This is what uh, you know I talked about on the Paranormal Activities Halloween special. It just goes on and on and on and on. And I guess Rob Zombie was like, hey, got to stretch out the scares. But at a certain point, you're over it. And you just want the movie to end so you can go home. Let's also point out that... Uh, so I guess this movie sets the climax in the Myers house. I think that's where this is supposed to be. Um, to be honest, I always kind of thought that a Halloween movie should end there. I find myself thinking that Halloween ends should go back to the Myers house. And that's where it should end. Uh, it seems poetic. But this movie... Mm, it really does give me some, some food for thought because I don't like how it plays out in this movie. Now, maybe that's because Rob Zombie misses the point and he doesn't respect the iconography and the weight that this house carries. He really doesn't emphasize like the parallels to the house earlier in the movie. He, there's not a lot that signals that this is the house beyond the fact that it's like old and, you know, decrepit. Uh, you know, it's a problem if I'm not even 100% sure that it was the Myers house, but I'm 99% sure. But that, that's an issue. Beyond that, you know, you have to recognize there is a reason this setting is just average suburban homes in the original. The original is a movie about random acts of evil, about evil finding its way to your doorstep. Michael could come and kill you in your own average suburban home. There's also a sort of subversive, uh, you know, social and political statement about the increasing isolation and harshness of late 70s politics. You know, the consequences of rugged individualists pull yourself up by your bootstraps policies as Carpenter saw it. None of that here. There's none of that here. Now it's like, let's just, I don't know, set the scene in a scary house. Uh, and by scary, I guess I should say theoretically scary because this shit doesn't work. When Lori, you know, she's hiding in the crawl space in the ceiling and Michael is, is jabbing that four by four through it. Uh, I, as I was watching that, I was just getting really bored and restless. And it felt like it went on forever. And then I totally forgot that Michael pushes her out the window and, and we get a cut to black. And then she regains consciousness. Like, if I were sitting in the theater watching this, I would be so pissed. Uh, I would be ready to go home. Uh, she regains consciousness. So the movie still isn't over. We still have, like, a minute or two left here. Um, we get Russian roulette with Michael before she shoots him in the head off screen. And then we get a little graphic match cut from Lori crying to baby Lori crying. Wow. Powerful. Let me honestly say, you know, at the beginning of this, I, I, I really wanted to be able to say that I don't hate this movie. But after watching it, I was like, you know, I forgot how much reason I had to hate this movie and how unimpressive it really is. I thought that there was some okay stuff in here, but overall, it is a hollow shell of a shitty movie. I honestly feel like I need to walk away and reconsider my franchise ranking. 
this movie was way worse than I remembered it being. And it gives me a whole new appreciation for Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which I, I now think, and I, I've, I've always believed that it was the uh, superior film, but now I believe it's the far superior film. I don't, I actually don't understand, you know, why people seem to hate Halloween 2 more. Uh, I think probably just because, uh, you know, they, they hate the changes that he made, but I, I think that on, on a, a movie level, I, Halloween 2 is, is the far, far, far better movie. Um, I am especially embarrassed after re-watching this movie to think that my friends and I believed that this movie was better than the original. What? What the fuck? I honestly don't have more to say than what the fuck. Uh, you know, we were completely wrong. Um, it, it would be hard to imagine us being more wrong than we were. And again, to reiterate, this is not a situation where I'm just biased because I don't like Rom Zombie. I know that I've been harsh about Zombie's direction here, but that's because I think it fucking sucks in this movie. I think he did a bad job. I think this was a, a directorial hack job. And if this were my only exposure to a Rom Zombie movie, I mean, I would think that he's a complete asshole who knows nothing about filmmaking. But here's the thing. And this is, is probably the controversial part of what I'm going to say. I think that Rob Zombie knows what he's doing most of the time. You watch something like House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, corpses and, and sure, it's not a very good movie. But it's a hell of a lot of fun as a haunted house movie, you know, kind of a campy comic booky horror movie, if that makes any sense. I think it's the best work that Rob Zombie has done transferring his music video sensibilities to film. You watch something like The Devil's Rejects, and he does an incredible job of taking all of these 70s exploitation film tropes and filming techniques and combining them to create a surprisingly respectable movie. And a movie that actually has great characters and some great dialogue. You watch something like uh, the, the Lords of Salem, and you think, you know, okay, he missed the mark, but damn, he was swinging for the fences. Visually, a stunning film, and it has a lot of ideas behind it, even if it doesn't execute on, on all of them. You watch 31, and you think, yeah, it's a mess of a movie, but again, there is some interesting stuff here, and, and maybe his best character ever in Doomhead. You know, you even watch Three from Hell and think, okay, this is just a rehash of Devil's Rejects, but... Zombie knows his way around a 70s exploitation homage, and he was having some fun with it. But this movie? No. None of that. I would consider myself a Rob Zombie fan. I like his music. I like more of his movies than I used to admit. But this movie sucks. I like seeing Rob Zombie do what Rob Zombie wants to do. And he gets to do that in Halloween 2. Love it or hate it, that is a real Rob Zombie Halloween movie. And it's way more interesting than this one. It's an actual piece of art, uh, you know, even, even if you think it's bad art. Whereas this movie here is just a cheap replica of a masterpiece with a shitty prologue tacked on. It's not art at all. 
do I hate this movie more than I hate Halloween 5 or Resurrection? Well, okay, let's not be ridiculous. But do I think that it's objectively worse than Halloween 6? That's the question at hand. I, in my franchise ranking, I believe that I said that I preferred, well, I know I said I preferred Halloween 6 to this movie, but I believe that I said that this was a better movie, a better Halloween movie than Halloween 6. So I want to revisit that question. Do I think this movie is objectively worse than Halloween 6? After watching it, to be honest, yeah, maybe I think it's objectively worse than Halloween 6. Because, because at least 6 had ideas. At least it tried to do something different. Um, you know, at least there was an artistic vision behind it. And sure, maybe it was a bad artistic vision. But it had something distinctive about it. It had uh, some, some artistic blood running through its veins, metaphorically speaking. Um, I also think the direction is, is the direction, like, okay, it just really bothers me that Rob Zombie tries to do shot for shot, you know, remake shit but then uses all the wrong shots, angles, camera movements, just completely fucks up the framing, completely uh, botches it. Halloween 6 actually artistically has some good directorial choices, even if, you know, uh, there aren't a ton of them. So on an artistic level, cinematically, this looks good, but substance-wise, there's not much there. Whereas I think Halloween 6 has a few moments where artistically, you know, uh, neither movie is great, but... Look, mostly because I think Halloween 6 has more of a distinctive vision, I think that I'm prepared to say that Rob Zombie's Halloween is the third worst franchise uh, movie in this franchise. That is a reversal from what I said in my ranking episode, because back then, you know, I said that Halloween 6 gets Michael more wrong than Rob Zombie does. I still agree with that sentiment. You know, serial killer, true crime Michael is still better than ridiculous henchman, rune-fearing Michael. However, as somebody who believes that film needs to authentically represent its creator, I just can't justify the absolute disaster that Rob Zombie's Halloween is. Rob Zombie has made bad movies, but because this movie is so not Rob Zombie, and because the only actually authentic Rob Zombie part is absolute dog shit. I think this is Rob Zombie's worst movie. And because the first half gets Michael so wrong, but then the second half is such an insult to the original. I could honestly make an argument that Halloween 6 has more artistic merit than this shit heap. This movie should not have been made. And frankly, I think Rob Zombie would have preferred this movie not be made. I think he resents all of the pressure that was put on him, and I could understand that. Fortunately, if all goes according to plan, we will be talking about a far 
better movie next week. And that is Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. I know everyone says that this is the low point of the, the Halloween franchise. You know, Halloween 2 is, is horrible. I think they're wrong. And I'm excited to talk about why. Halloween 2007 is so unoriginal, so unimaginative, so cheap, so forced, so unenjoyable that it's depressing. You don't want to be watching it. I have a much better experience when I watch Halloween 2. So we'll talk about that. Until then, it's good to be back, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And, oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Um, I disappeared from Twitter for a while. Um, <laughs> 100% honesty here. The, the reason is that I got logged out, and then I forgot my login info, and then I also forgot the login info to my recovery email. Uh, and I was so busy that I just didn't get to figure that shit out until two days ago. But I'm back on Twitter. Uh, it was great to see everyone talking about horror movies. You know, I, I really missed that. Uh, but as always, reach out. Let me know uh, if you think I'm an asshole and that Halloween 2007 is a masterpiece and I am missing the Freudian subtext and Rob Zombie's deeper commentary on the darkness inherent in every human soul. Or, you know, tell me that I'm right and this, this movie fucking sucks. Either fucking way, just fucking make sure that you fucking talk like every fucking character in a Rob fucking zombie movie. You hear me, you fucking bitch? Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's enough for me. But I am glad to be back, and I am looking forward to discussing Halloween 2 next week on The Haddonfield Report.